0: All right, this is a paid commercial advertisement from our sponsor, Flash Talking by MediaOcean. This ad was written by the Markitexture AI, so the copy was written by the AI, and I'm going to read it for you. Hey there, Markitecture listeners. It's your favorite ad tech guru, Ari Paparo, here to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, Flash Talking by MediaOcean. Now, you might be thinking, Flash Talking? That sounds like a superhero with a really specific power. But let me tell you, Flashtalking is actually a powerful ad platform that helps brands and agencies deliver amazing digital experiences to their audiences. With Flashtalking, you can create and deliver personalized ads that really resonate with your target customers. And the best part, you can do it all in one place thanks to MediaOcean's seamless integration. So if you're tired of juggling multiple ad platforms and want to streamline your digital advertising efforts, head over to MediOcean.com slash Flashtalking to learn more. Trust me, your customers will thank you for it. That's MediaOcean.com/slash flash talking. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Architecture. All right, welcome to the Architecture Podcast. Today we're at ID5 on the road. So this is a live podcast recording. If you don't believe me, audience, make some noise. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm here today with uh, Eric Franchi, my usual co-host, along with two special guests, Allison Schiff, who's the managing editor of AdExchanger, which is the second most popular podcast on ad tech nowadays.
1: Shut, <laughs> shut your
0: face, Eric. Right. <laughs> and our host for this event, Matthew Roche, who is the CEO of ID. Hello, everyone. Uh, so normally we cover a bunch of events and then talk about the news, but there's been so much news this week We're just gonna dive right into late things have been happening uh, a lot of identity news, but also interesting from uh, Announcements from the trade desks today um, and some random stuff. Uh, so let's start with identity So Allison you've been covering the cookie apocalypse and it feels like it's actually happening Like Google has given us a timeline and things are really happening. <laughs>
1: I mean, perhaps. (laughs) Sitting in the audience today, it seems like there's a lot of skepticism, right? It was, what are we, 90? We were around 90 people in this audience when uh, people were asked to raise their hand, whether they thought it was actually going to happen, and about 15% of people raised their hands. So, I don't know, maybe people have been burned too much by multiple
0: delays. What's the party line? What are they saying is going to happen?
1: The party line is that by next year, they will... um, deprecate third-party cookies for 1% of Chrome users and then slowly expand that. So it really is a phase-out. And then in the interim, um, there'll be a mechanism that mimics um, cookieless traffic so that people can finally get started testing. And um, and yeah, I mean, the APIs are going to be generally available in July. It's like around the corner.
2: I think that's the big difference as well, right? That the partner line has been not just like here's the date, is here's the date, and this is the path to going there. These are the solutions that we're implementing. These are the solutions that we're allowing to exist as well. So it's a much, a much more detailed approach, which makes makes me personally believe that it's actually more serious this time. Um, I would have, I would say that obviously, but I, I think like when you look at the at the at the approach they've had. And also the the, the the level of detail they've committed to, it feels more real, right? So, did they give like a day zero, for a, as of this day,
3: cookies are newt, and it's over. I think they gave July as the date they would start rolling out the APIs.
2: No, I'm talking about like no. like when cookies are no more, like it's. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's likely. So it's likely that I mean the, the way it's going to work, right? They're going to release a version of Chrome that doesn't right. support third-party cookies, and that's going to be released apparently in July. Of next year, 24. And then it's a question of how quickly is that new version going to ramp up, be adopted, right? People update in their Chrome browser, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's going to be a matter of weeks or months until the whole population using Chrome is covered by the the, the new version. So this is basically At the end of the year. I end of imagine, next right? year. Yeah, end of next I think, year. I think actually faster. I don't know. I don't have the, the stats on how, how quickly people update browsers and stuff, but it's probably going to be, I'd say, a few weeks, maybe a few months. Yeah after the initial kind of release of that, of that uh, version.
3: <laughs> for, for, those, for those listening at home, at home, Ari's been literally trying to grab
0: the mic out of Matt's We have limited number of microphones and we're fighting over them. It's much this easier on un- Zoom. Awesome. Um, I think that uh, part of what's happening is they're making it available in July so that developers can fully develop against it and then they'll start turning the bit that will turn off cookies for users in the beginning of 2024. Um, unless I'm misunderstanding, I think, five. five, yeah. Twenty-five.
1: No, that's twenty twenty-five next year. Next year. Yeah, yeah. It's twenty twenty-three, right? It's twenty
0: twenty-three, right? Okay. So
1: end of twenty-four.
0: End of twenty-four. Cookies are done.
1: How could we be having this conversation like this? How do we not <laughs> you know what know? we're talking
0: about? We should we really get better should guests here. Um, okay, uh, moving on to another topic on identity. Um, LiveRamp for sale. Um, so, uh, Digiday reported that uh, LiveRamp was uh, entertaining offers, um, and maybe nothing was happening there. I think this is an identity story ultimately, uh, because they probably wouldn't be so interested in selling if identity was a solid, you know, path forward with no risk. What do you think?
1: I just remember interviewing you, Ari, like two, maybe three years ago for a story about how reliant LiveRamp still was on third-party cookies and how reliant Ram ID is still on third-party cookies, and I wonder how true that still is.
0: Yeah, I mean, my I think at the time what I said was basically you can have a you can have the spine of a graph that has emails or hashed emails, but when you want, try to actually use the graph, you're often dependent on the cookie to uh, make it usable
2: on a given website or media. Uh, Matt, I imagine you have thoughts on this. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, so I mean, Libram's built an amazing business on cookies, right? And and they've, they've tried hard to 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 diversify, to expand in other verticals, et cetera, et cetera, but. And most of the campaigns that are running, most of the onboarding kind of capabilities they have still rely on a very kind of strong and and really, really well-executed spine of third-party cookies. So I don't know how that connects to sales or divester strategies or whatever. Um, I think the price, uh, what what the digital article mentioned was that the price dip made them an interesting target. But it could be LiveRamp, it could be anyone else, right? Every time prices go down, people want to buy So I don't know how is that that is related to, to cookies in the case of LiveRamp and particular. Are you making an offer?
0: <laughs> the ID5 reverse takeover of LiveRamp? <laughs> was the, the,
3: there was a number. Somebody said it's was like 1.6 billion was the, well, the number. 1.6 billion,
1: billion was the, uh, the valuation. Yeah, the yeah. And then 2 billion was
3: the price. Yeah, they were I don't think they'll solve for two billion. A hefty number. Um, yeah. the, the the business has like 600 million in cash. So it's like you know valuing the, the business at effectively 2x, which I,
0: I don't think they're gonna do. Right. You give the six hundred to the ID5 shareholders, then you merge the two. Exactly. Um, so um, two numbers that I heard recently. So yesterday I, I interviewed, it hasn't come out yet, Tim Vanderhoek, the founder of Viant, um, and he made a strong case that hashed emails will never get above 20% of traffic. Um, that's his case. I'm not saying it's right, that's what he was saying. It's, he's he's selling his book. Um, And then today, we'll talk about Trade Desk later, but Jeff Green said uh, that he expects more than 50% of all the bids on CTV to have UID2 by next year. Those are very different points of view. They're both talking up their book.
2: Um, Thoughts? You can reconcile that by considering that Tim was probably referring to the overall kind of digital right including web web is not a login universe right you go to uh, the weather channel you're not going to give your email just to check uh, uh, the weather forecast you go to ESPN. You want to look at the sports scores of yesterday's? Was there a game yesterday? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, tomorrow, today, whatever. De-
1: Denver and. Uh,
2: Denver and um, Miami. I want to say Miami. Yeah. I- I'm your Euro- I'm European. I don't like. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't,
1: one, one, right? One
2: one? I, I maybe. So this is recorded on Tuesday, the uh, six, seven, six, six. Okay. Um, just so that we don't don't you know uh, come out as complete morons. <laughs> um, reason, anyway. Back to back to the twenty percent. I think LiveRamp actually said twenty percent, right? LiveRamp said we're gonna have twenty percent of logged in users, and that'll be pretty good. Um, and then all of the publishers in the room kind of committed suicide. Uh, um, you, you can't monetize twenty percent of your traffic; it just doesn't work. CTV is a very different world, though, because you've got a lot of, of authenticated users, right? When you most Vastly because we had Roku and LG on stage just before we come in, mostly because when you buy a, a, Roku, a Roku device or you buy a, a, an LG TV, they ask you to register, they ask you to, like you do on Google and Apple devices, right? And so it gives more authenticated user base to then turn into a UID2, which then, you know, maybe kind of uh, connects the dots with, uh, with Jeff Green's 50% uh, estimates.
1: And I don't think anybody that you talk to would say that emails would be more than 20 or some maximum 25% on the web. It's not really possible. I mean, there might be modeling that happens, but only so many people will ever log in.
0: All right, so talking about the Trade Desk, so they uh, had a very big event today, it was very hyped, it had a stupid name, I can't remember, uh, Kokai. Um, and uh, for those of you who weren't there, I, I actually... In, in defense of the Trade it's
2: actually Japanese for open seas. I'm, open did, did you open for business. Open for like, business or open seas, yeah, that, that's yeah, what he said, yeah. Right, okay. yeah. So it, it's, you know, there's a lot of research behind it, I'm sure there's a marketing... Yeah, uh, are you a partner that, of the Trade Desk, I, I, is that I, what's I, I, coming I, I. in here? Like a
0: little defense here, getting a little defensive on Jeff's case. Um, so, um, so uh, it was a very well-produced event. I actually live live blogged it. So, if you want to hear what happened, go to Architecture TV on Twitter, and you'll see a stream of everything that I heard. Um, and um, we'll talk about a couple things. I'll just give my opinions as I listened to it before I came here, which was it was a lot of fluff. There was not a lot of announcements for for an hour-long event that was the big thing. There was nothing, right? kokai like, K- K- is not a thing, it's like a vibe. They were like, it's like we got a lot of good stuff going on here.
1: <laughs> did you listen to it, Alison? I didn't get to listen to it, I read your thread. Oh good, yeah. K- Kai is a vibe, is a vibe. I
0: think I, <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely a vibe. Um, but one thing they, they did sort of announce, they didn't really. They, they, so Jeff came up there and he said, like, app stores are great, we want app stores, and we have all these partnerships, and now we're announcing the Partner portal where you can log in and see your information as a publisher. And they didn't really announce an app store, but I, I kind of. But then AdWeek just put out an article that says they did announce an app store. So I don't know what's really going on. Um, I guess in general, the question is: Is an app store in advertising a good idea?
1: And people have tried it. It's not I a did. bad idea. Yeah.
0: Uh, I was going to say AppNexus 2014, right? Earlier. 2011, I announced it on stage. Um, <laughs> Eric, uh, I want to hear from you specifically because there was an emphasis on creative tech. And creative, the intersection between creative tech and DSPs is not as good as it probably should be. Yeah. So is this the solution of having like app stores and deep integrations? I'm not really even sure. Yeah, I think it benefits creative tech. It benefits like, I mean, every
3: potential startup. Um, or company in ad tech if they they pull it off, if they do it right, right? Like ultimately it becomes another way for them, you know, the startups to get distribution. So um, I'm cheering for the concept of an app store. Um, I think oftentimes these things are super hard to pull off uh, in a B2B context, Um, but when you pull them off, a la Snowflake, it can be like really big and also really accretive
0: Yeah,
3: go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Just um, from the creative standpoint, it's been really hard to connect the media and the creative the way that like we've been you know, sort of like thinking it would happen, investing along uh, the, the lines that it would happen. So this could be the big unlock. So
0: I'm net excited about this. Yeah, and I'm not trying to criticize the trade desks partnership program in general. They put up a, a, a slide, all their data partners, all their integration partners. Very impressive stuff. Uh, it just the announcement itself was a little bit. Um, hard to follow exactly what they were saying. Uh, But one thing they did say, I'll keep it with you, Eric, um, was they have this retail measurement alliance. I think that's the name. And the idea is that they're combining data from Albertsons, uh, maybe Wegmans, and another another retail grocery chain, and modeling it so that if you are buying their retail media product, you get a single sort of index of how often your products got sold without disclosing any specific retailer. And I think it kind of, you know, I'm picking on you because you're such an advocate of retail media. Um, what do you think the positioning there is of Trade Desk in the retail media? I mean, they're going for it, right? Like, you know, uh, besides Amazon, um, who, who's
3: the who's the clear winner in retail media? Well, right? pretty I was going for it. Yeah, 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 for for sure. Out, so outside of the the pure plays, um, so I think, a, it's you know, an opportunity for them to sort of like plant a flag. Um, B. There needs to be more innovation around these products that provide modeling, provide lookalikes. Um, so I think it's a pretty good idea.
0: And Allison, you wrote about retail media recently. You wrote an article, I think it's titled "Amazon is a Beast, but there are enough retail media ad dollars to go around." It's quite a headline.
1: I thank you very much. Um, I mean, it was an interview with Megan Clarkin, who's the CEO of Criteo, and you know, she was hyping commerce media, of course, um, and you know for good reason. It's whatever it is, 150, 160 billion dollar opportunity, but we also talked about how a large portion of that is Amazon, so you can't really talk about the retail media TAM without talking about Amazon. It's a little bit spurious to do that. So, um, you know, we we did address the the beast in the room, but by the same token, if, I don't know, 40, 50 billion dollars, I don't know how many billions of dollars go to Amazon, there's still a lot left over um, you know, for the open web to scrabble about and try and get some right. of it. That's yeah.
0: like the business plan of every retail vendor. Yeah. Like, there's lots to go around.
3: Yeah, there's, there's multiple components that need to be built here. I think this idea of like, you know, some sort of modeling solution um, to allow for measurement is but one, but there's the aggregation of all of these, like, sort of non-walled gardens. That's number two. There's innovation on ad formats. That's number three. So it's like, all of these things need to, need to run in parallel. Yeah.
0: Um, so again, if they're building some sort of astro, some sort of marketplace, there's a real opportunity for distribution here, so it'd be pretty big. And, and Allison, you also wrote an interesting piece uh, called CTV Landmines um, about, you know, the promise of CTV is huge, but the day-to-day is pretty tough.
1: I mean, it was um, based on a presentation that Chris Kane um, from Jones Media, who is excellent, uh, made at our programmatic I.O. event in Las Vegas. Um, he was mostly talking about the pitfalls that come along with buying CTV programmatically um, without, you know, thinking about where your media is going, some awkward adjacencies, and also this concept that he uh, he coined a phrase for uh, sorta CTV, like sort of CTV, like when you're sitting, in a deli or something, and there's a screen in the corner, and it's playing an ad on mute, and you're eating your sandwich, and like nobody's looking at it. You know, if you're buying uh, CTV through an MVPD, your ad might end up there if you don't uh, ask questions. Right.
0: The the witch's brew of digital out of home turning into CTV is an underreported story that's a little frightening for media buyers.
1: I mean, yeah, it is. It should kind of keep them up at night.
0: So on the Trade Desk story, um, once again, I'm going from memory, uh, but they did announce two interesting things I thought, which was a, sort of a CTV quality index, um, which I believe uh, Jeff was implying used human uh, raters to tell whether the content was good or not. Um, and uh, and then also a, a CTV on target index so their customers can see how what the overlap was between Expected audience and and delivered audience, uh, and kind of I, I know we're talking about the trade desk a lot, but they are kind of real in the room. Um, so it's kind of interesting innovation
2: there. We're, we're talking a lot about measurement as well, right? When what what the, the common denominator, and I'm going to bring that topic to identity because that's really what I care about. <laughs> uh, the common denominator between retail media, the, the 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 index that you're that you're talking about is that it's all about measurement, and that's also where where we think the identity discussion should go for because that's. That it, The reason why measurement is important is that if you control measurement, you control media spend, right? Or if you influence measurement, you influence media spend, right? I think if you look back 20 20 years ago, the the critical acquisition that Google made that shaped the rest of the industry for the the, the, the following 20 years isn't double-click. It's Urchin. urchin that became Google Analytics because Google Analytics determined what brands understood to be Performing or not performing for them, which then led to so much money being spent in Google because guess what, Google Analytics, you know, had a, a really really close connection with Google and how to measure performance according to Google's rules. So uh, it, it's it's interesting to, to to connect back to the trader story that this index uh, approach is really about measuring right. The retail media, the the data they're getting from 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 uh, um, uh, uh, retailers is also about measuring we have to address this across the board. That's what drives money, that's what drives media spend from brands. That's, that's, where, that's where the big story is and yeah. Yeah, I agree
0: with you. I, I do think, though, the content, um, the, the sort of librarianship of organizing the content is a very important part of CTV. If you look at the smaller players like Mountain TV Scientific, uh, a company called Vibe that I'm associated with, they spend a lot of time just organizing CTV because it's a mess. You can't target a show very easily, ACR aside. You can't target it very easily across platforms, so that work is pretty important.
1: Isn't one of the reasons why you can't target so effectively and measurement is difficult is because they purposely make it so? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so um, my understanding is that many publishers are very reticent to pass good signals in the RTB request because it causes channel conflict with their direct sales force. If you could just target CSI Las Vegas using the Trade Desk, you'd be less likely to call your rep and do
2: your upfront.
1: You'd be targeting my mom. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> 20, 20, 20 years ago, blind at networks versus direct sales team, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't tell what you sold through a that network because you didn't want that to compete with your target sales team and then programmatic came up and, and, and the dynamic kind of shifted to buyers so maybe the broadcasters don't want the, the dynamic to shift too much to buyer and that's one of the reasons why they're slowing things down on that front?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. There's also uh, the question on identity, uh, notwithstanding that, that point that uh, allegedly 50% of CTV will have UID too. Um, many of the leading broadcasters and publishers wouldn't want to pass identity to a third party. Yeah, the difference between the ad network, uh,
3: you know, sort of like becoming programmatic, was there was a glut of supply, right? So it made the, the buy side that much more sophisticated and empowered because they can use data, right, and ultimately have a lot more leverage when there's just like so much supply. In CTV, it's flipped, right? The supply side has the leverage here, which you know you could play out. Perhaps the same thing doesn't happen. Um, supply side retains leverage, and you know this doesn't go the way of. Network, going programmatic, going to go buy leverage. We'll see.
0: You. This is a message from our sponsors at Attain. If you work in marketing or advertising, you know ROI and outcomes have never been more important. And as the deprecation of third-party cookies looms, you're probably thinking about how to make up for the loss of that crucial data. Good news. Attain makes driving, measuring, and proving outcomes easier than ever, even in a cookie-less future. Attain is a commerce data company that helps marketers leverage privacy-first data to drive better outcomes across media activation and measurement. Their commerce data is 100% opted in, available in real time, and provides marketers with visibility into purchases made across all categories, all retailers, and all touch points. What does this mean for you? Whether you want to gain new customers, retain existing customers, or simply increase customer lifetime value, Attain's opted-in commerce data allows you to more efficiently and more effectively drive outcomes. With Attain's data, you can measure and optimize in real time based on real sales data. The best part, Attain's measurement and data solutions are available with major partners like The Trade Desk, LiveRamp, OpenX, and many more, making it easy to get started today. Visit AttainData.io to start browsing commerce data for free. So uh, we're talking a lot, a lot about you know, very meaty, serious topics. Let's go a little lighter. Um, so last week, there was a press release that WPP had done a deal with NVIDIA, the chip manufacturer, to do um, AI creative. And that was kind of, feel, felt like a, you know, a press release looking for a business excuse. This week, um, IPG we did not want to be out, uh, outdone. IPG, I, I can't believe this is true. Uh, they did a partnership with a quantum computing company called Wave. So they're going to use Quanta to figure out something, media planning, I guess, like or what what snacks to put in the in the cafeteria. Like, what are they going to do with the
1: quantum computing? When I think of quantum computing, I think of like creating new drugs, you know, and like cybersecurity and predicting weather patterns so we can save lives in extreme weather storms, you know. But no, no, we're gonna like make better media plans. They're gonna
0: export bid factors from the frozen, they're gonna take the quantum chips and put them in the negative 200 nitrogen bath and out is gonna come a bid factor report right into the trade desk.
1: Is that not how it works?
3: (laughs) Part of what Ari and I do every week is, like, he finds these headlines, these stories, and I actually read them, I read the press release. I don't read them. <laughs> and I read this one. But I had a little do a little bit of research on, like, quantum computing, like, exactly what it is, um, and I have my sort of, like, basic understanding. Um, but on the press release, they basically say they're going to use it for targeting. So, like, literally using, like, the most powerful, sophisticated computing solutions that should be pointed at, like, the world's most important problems and, you know, going to use it to
0: target better. So, if you're an entry-level employee at IPG, you've got to shape up your resume because you're about to be replaced by photons. Um, so, <laughs> uh, okay, Apple Vision Pro. Uh, any hot takes? Just in general, or advertising applications, or are you gonna pay the 3500
1: Can you expense it? Yeah, right. <laughs> this, is, this is a podcast, so only the people here can see my face, but it's like, I don't like it. <laughs> so,
2: I, I'm a skier, right? So, I would wear that on the slope every day. Yeah. Anywhere outside of the slope, never. <laughs> I mean, people thought the Google Glass were weird. And it was Google Glass looks pretty elegant. It was pretty, Can't compare it to that, he was like, he <laughs> was like, Talk back."
1: The one thing I always find bizarre about the demos that you see when, you know, companies are showing what like a wearable will look like, it's always one person in an office doing all of these crazy things and then no one else is wearing them, it's just the one person. What is an office gonna look like when there's like 40 people all with their goggles on? It's like completely dystopic. Yeah, it's like, don't
0: talk to Allison, she's got her glasses on.
1: <laughs> she's got 10 times the productivity of all of our
0: other reporters, but we don't talk.
1: You'll be able to see my eyes. It'll, it'll unfuzz so you
0: can see right. my eyes which is. Do they address what people with glasses will do? None of the people in the demos
2: were wearing glasses.
1: There was something really like, l- later on, right? Actually, I think,
2: I think you can like, there is a filter, there's like a, a built-in correction for, the, for the So it actually doubles up as a pair of glasses, which is pretty cool, right? It's not just like this super kind of AR, VR type of thing, it's also just helps you see better. Which, well, you know, why not?
1: I have glasses. <laughs> they help me see better.
2: If you know your prescription, if you, you know, leave
3: your doctor's office, your optometrist, like with your prescription, which you should do, you should be able to like input it and actually be able to use it to, to see better.
0: Yeah, about a year ago, someone found a uh, Apple patent application yeah. that was virtual vision correction. Yeah, yeah, it's probably what it's being
3: used for. I'm going to take the over on this one. I think okay. It's gonna, I think it's going to be um, a, a wildly successful product, however, I don't think V1, just like with most products um, is gonna end up being like the thing that gets mass adoption I think it comes out next year very uh, people with a lot of disposable income and you know sort of tech influencer types buy it um, you know it's out there in the wild and then ultimately you know version 2 version 3 becomes mainstream the app store is gonna be great the use cases are gonna be super interesting we're gonna be buying and targeting ads against
0: people's eyes I think it all happens but it's probably like a three to five your time. Well you are a venture capitalist, so you can expense it. That's what that's what the two percent is. for. I, right. I the, the power cord is nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Oh it doesn't come with the power cord? No,
3: this is what I read. Like <laughs> you gotta buy it and then you gotta buy the freaking power cord. <laughs>
0: So it's actually- Awesome.
1: No, no, they're they're single-use. That's what they
0: are. <laughs> <It's> disposable. <laughs> um, okay, I hate to bring it up, but Twitter. Uh, we have a long run. If, for those of you who don't listen to the podcast, every week we have something we have to talk about, about Twitter, and it pains us. Uh, so, Linda is CEO now. Congratulations. Uh, hopefully she's a listener. Um, the um, So, right before she joined, um, the whole quality team quit again. Uh, <laughs> And <laughs> it's a very convoluted story about how some you know, right-wing fascist video was gonna be played and they didn't want to, and Elon did, not <laughs> following the story. But I guess it's just not the best welcome present for Linda, what do you think?
1: I mean, she has a hill to climb, I don't know. I mean, I will say, like I, I do spend a lot of time on Twitter, I'm a creeper, I don't really tweet other than cat videos, but I do see a lot of ads, and yeah. some of them are real brands, right? Like I've seen Ritz, Oreo, like, Amazon, Apple Plus. I also see ads for like little flashlights for Crocs and like stupid companies. Flashlights for Crocs? So oh, you put them on the Crocs? Yeah, they're tiny little flashlights that you insert into your Crocs so that when you walk um, into your garage, you can uh, you don't trip over stuff. That seems useful. Yeah. Uh, I don't get any of
0: these ads. I get ads for like get rich quick schemes and there's all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but also, I, we don't have I don't have the details, but there was also another uh, piece of reporting that uh, revenue was down like 59% year-over-year recently came out, so
2: Linda definitely has her uh, hands full. I don't think Elon Musk likes advertising more than Mark Zuckerberg likes advertising, but Mark Zuckerberg had Sheryl Sandberg to turn Facebook at the time, Meta into an amazing advertising business. So hopefully Linda will be as successful as Sheryl, as the kind of the, 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 the politically correct, kind of acceptable, right, intermediate between the crazy tech guy and the rest of the world? Yeah. I, I think Eric has a point on this.
3: No, not on this. There was um, another uh, article about Twitter that uh, he's reviving or trying to revive Periscope, which I think is really interesting because, you know, again, we sort of talk about Twitter too much, but one of the things that Ari and I have both agonize over is the lack of like a good video product, a good video ad product, a general sort of like. You know, video-facing thing, and um, apparently he, you know, said to the engineers, Periscope, where is it? I want to, I want to use it. And he, he, like went live, and people caught it. It was, you know, not not supposed to uh, happen. So um, this could be the beginnings of some sort of like interesting new video ad product that gets associated with like live streaming. So
0: Periscope was their retired live streaming platform, yeah. right? Yeah, correct, right, correct. That. They, they acquired, I think fine. Yeah, they, they acquired Vine, which uh, was a big missed opportunity, then Periscope uh, and then they shut down Periscope for some unknown reason. Correct. Yeah, so, we'll
1: see. but ha- they, I mean, I remember reading this too, like they didn't really invest in it, right, for the yeah. last, what is it, like eight years yeah. or something? So, it, I mean, if it's going to be the next video product, they have a lot of work to do on it.
0: And with that said, live video is particularly hard to monetize. Uh, I think I think Twitter really wants some video to monetize, but live video is pretty hard. Yeah, if there's a company that you know has a shot at live video, it's
3: Twitter, right? Because Twitter is live. They're courting you know creators to uh, move their previous sort of content that was on cable television, not naming names,
0: right, and bring it onto Twitter. So this could end up being some sort of like next gen live video product. Um, I have a note here that says, Anna dumps pig, and I'm trying to figure out what it means, and now i figure figured out it's the ANA dumps PwC. That's what it says. Um, So... uh, (laughs) This is breaking news, I just scribble it. So uh, (laughs) the ANA has been running various transparency reports over the last several years, and they've been using PwC, and I think those reports have had a lot of criticism for really just not having a lot of data or transparency, uh, and they finally cut them. Allison, have you been covering this at
1: all? I haven't actually. You have to ask the other Allison, who works at Campaign US, Alison Weisbrad, who used to be with us. She would know. Unfortunately, I don't. Um,
0: So I I think this is uh, interesting news because obviously the ANA still wants to continue doing these studies, even though they haven't really concluded anything particularly meaningful, but it's, it's uh, hopefully we'll have some better data moving forward. because the, They've done two of the studies uh, over two years and they haven't been particularly good, in my opinion.
1: And have they had an impact to your knowledge? I mean, the main
0: thing is they got on everyone's slides and people just said, ad tech tax, missing 15%, we have no idea what's going on. Buy ads for me directly.
1: <laughs> and I, I guess that has happened more, more direct, I don't know, or just just ending up on the slides.
0: I don't know, I like Anna Dump's Pig better. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> um, last story uh, I've got is um, maybe this is, we're uh, back to identity a little bit. Um, so uh, Apple has their big conference, had the big conference starting yesterday, um, and now all the little seminars are happening, and my colleague and architecture, Eric Suford, he covers it like a hawk, um, and there's one thing that, that's come out that seems interesting, which is um, Apple seems to be evaluating the privacy policies of the SDKs inside apps separately from the apps for the first time. And this is something that's been speculated about that they would do at some point. They haven't said they're going to ban people, but they've said things like, "We're going to have a privacy kind of readout for every SDK, and there may be conditions where you, as an app developer, need to justify which apps SDKs you're using." That's kind of what's going on, like breaking news. No one really knows what's going on.
1: Have they said how they're going to do that? Is there technology for them to scan SDKs? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, they can. They can definitely. They can scan apps currently. Yeah. They could sort of decompile them and figure out what they're doing. Um, so they presumably would get an SDK from a vendor or someone like AppLovin, you know, not to pick on them, and they would evaluate what data points it was using, and that would turn into um, the what they call the um,
2: nutritional label that
0: apps have on their app
2: store. That's a problem with monopolies, right? Or, or problem? Uh, yeah, the <laughs> Yeah, the, the you know dictators, right? Dictatorships, right? Like it's like they call the shots. They decide the roles within their their ecosystem. Their ecosystem happens to be kind of half of the world plays in it. Um, so th- that's that's where it becomes a challenge. They they can call it privacy. They can call it like you know doing good by the users. So it's just like for their own benefit, right? And and. And every everyone else is collateral damage if it doesn't work in their favor. So that's the challenge with the situation we're in with, with frankly with Google and with Google and Apple when it comes to mobile, because they have monopolies on app stores in their devices, and there's two of them, and, and it's like 60-40 kind of market share, and they decide what is allowed to happen in the in the app stores. There's no other app stores, right? There's going to be one in Europe, but otherwise, they decide, and they can say like, nope, you're not going to do this. And it doesn't matter if, if, if there are businesses at stake, if there are like publishers, you know, monetization ch- challenges at stake, like, it, they don't care because it doesn't work for them. And that's, that's the problem. We're, they, they are, they're an ecosystem. They're not just one of the market players. They are the market. And the reason why we have regulations in financial markets is that it's you know, so that there is fair competition. There's no regulation in, in the Apple market. It's just Apple deciding who can run and who cannot. Well, I'll agree with you but take the other side of the argument,
0: which is while I agree that it is sort of monopolistic, the App Store environment, also I think that um, no one else could bring transparency to SDK practices, and that potentially is a positive. Um, Many of the apps that you're using have all kinds of SDKs in them, and there's no way for a consumer to regulate that or make any intelligent decisions about that.
2: I, I agree that there is a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. Yes. Whether this is the best way to clean it up, or whether it's the way that is going to favor the incumbent or the dominant players already, it's it's. I think it's where we need to ask the questions.
1: Well, I was just going to say that I um I might be wrong about this, but uh, the way I read it is that the um that Apple's going to share more information with developers about what their SDKs are doing, but then it's up to the, to the developer to put that information into their nutritional label, so it's kind of like an honor system, actually. And there might be a gotcha after the fact.
0: Uh, So um, I believe what, was the bullet points I saw in one of the tweets was that what you just said, accurate, then there was something else which said um, that developers will be asked for additional context in their app, app submissions as to why certain SDKs are there, and they would need permission for some sensitive SDKs.
1: It feels like, come to the principal's office and also, like, don't forget to bring your note.
0: <laughs> well, there is a history here. So it, when Apple announced ATT, there was a bunch of Chinese app developers who were like, this doesn't apply to us. We're going to have an SDK. We're going to slurp up all your data, do whatever the hell we want with it. They could put it on GitHub, and Apple shut them down pretty hard. Um, so Apple, ha- Apple will take action against aggressive SDKs, but now with more data, you can imagine them taking action against less aggressive SDKs.
1: I do think actually Google deserves some credit because they have the, um, is it SDK runtime or runtime SDK? I always get confused and mis- misstate it, but it's part of the Android Privacy Sandbox and it um, basically like isolates SDKs so they run in a separate environment and can only you know do what they're allowed to do with data. They can't really overstep, um, which I think is actually a more elegant solution than you know, what Apple is
0: proposing. Uh, I guess we'll have to watch and see how Apple actually turns it into a product. They often pre-announce stuff at their developer conference. Um, So with that, we're going to call it. So this was a great episode. I want to thank Matthew for having us and for hosting us, Allison for being here, and uh, this great audience who's listened to our podcast live, which is kind of weird. But thank you very much for being here.
3: Thank you for subscribing to Markitecture. New interviews are added every week at Markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.